new trainer. Hey, Dina. So I just want you to know a couple things. One, you're a product of Coupon. Two, I've done this before. Three, I think I'm pretty fit. Four, I just need some toning. Oh. Five, you got that? Okay, got it. Uh, so when was your last workout? Four. 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 Days? Weeks? Years. Wow, that was quite a while ago. Are you sure you just need some toning? So are you gonna judge? Mm -hmm. No judgment. Okay. Um, I just, I think it's really important that you're honest about where you are so that I can make a routine that best fits your needs and your goals. Okay, I understand. I just want some toning. You know, just some basic toning. Uh, we... Okay, that's a start, but maybe a little more than toning? Yeah, I guess I could do a little bit of toning. Okay, don't worry, we're gonna work on this together. Yeah. Thanks. Welcome to part two in spiritual sweat, where what we are doing over the next five weeks together is we are trying to get in spiritual shape. Now we're trying to shake off some of the complacency, maybe some of the apathy, maybe some of the distractedness that has kind of plagued us for maybe the past however long, hopefully it's been less than four years, okay? But we all gotten to the point at some point in our lives, and a lot of us may be there right now, where we just gotten complacent, or we just, you know, we kind of lost track in the busyness of things or whatever it may be. Well, the goal of this series is to shake that off and to get ourselves back in shape, okay? And what we talked about last week, is we want to be like my son. And the story I told at the end of last week, where I told the story about how my son at one point in time said, I don't want toys. I don't want Chuck E. Cheese. I don't want games. I just want my daddy. Okay, I just want to be with my daddy. And we, we talked about that story and they'll sit in the same way of saying that we are saying to God that we realize that the solution to our problems are not the solutions to our problems. Okay, the solution, whatever problem you have is not the solution to your problem. The solution is finding God in it. Because if I found the solution to my problem, but I found it without God, I didn't really solve anything. An example that I often give is a child who runs away from home and finds himself hungry. He ran away from home, so he has no food, so he's hungry. He thinks his problem is that he needs a sandwich. But a sandwich isn't really going to solve his problem. What's going to solve his problem is going back home to dad. And that's where a lot of us are spiritually. Okay, is that we think that the problem is solved by this, but this without God doesn't really solve the problem. I give that kid a sandwich today and tomorrow and the next day, and until he comes back to dad, he's still going to have himself a problem. And that's the way we are in our spiritual lives as well. The good thing about this series that I discovered over the past week as I talked to many people, and more importantly, as I prayed for many people and I talked to many people in a prayerful kind of a context, is what I discovered, STSA family, you should be very proud of yourselves. We have a very spiritually mature church family right here. And one of the things that makes me so happy, not spiritually mature in saying that we're all giants. I've done, that's not how I classify. I classify spiritual maturity as hunger. And what I discovered, which I already knew anyway, but I discovered that the majority of people who are sitting in these chairs here today. We want depth. We want to get close to God. We fool around with a whole bunch of stuff, but deep inside all of our hearts, deep inside your heart and in my heart, I want to get close to God. I want to be able to trust him. I want to be able to fulfill like what he wants me, not my own thing. I want to be able to obey even the hard commandments that we have a very spiritually mature people who are really hungry. And I believe that as Christ said, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. And I believe God is going to fill us throughout this series as we seek him and seek only him and seek nothing other than him. God is going to fill us. Last week, we kicked off the series by looking at this idea of reviving our spiritual lives, reviving our hearts. And we said it's kind of like soil. And soil, to bring fruit out of the soil, there's two components. You need seed and you need soil. You need the right kind of seed and the right kind of soil. The seed is whose responsibility? That's God's responsibility. We're not going to worry about the seed. We're not going to worry about what he plants. Our responsibility is the soil. And it's our job to make sure that the soil is good soil. And if it's good soil and it's fertile soil, then I trust that the seed will do its thing. But when we looked at our, our soil inside our hearts, a lot of us had, as the Bible says, fallow ground inside our hearts. And fallow ground 
we talked about last week is the soil that used to be fertile and it used to have stuff coming out of it, but it's just been left alone so long that it's gotten crusty on the top and it's gotten hard on the top. It's not that it's not good soil. It's still good, but it just needs to be what? Turned. It needs that tiller machine to kind of go in with the blades and turn the stuff up. And that's what we're doing here in this series is we're going deep inside. We're not sticking at the surface. We're going deep and we're turning up some stuff inside our hearts and we're seeing where our soil needs to be tilled a little bit. And we agreed it might not be easy, but it's certainly worth it. What are the things that make our soil hard, that make our hearts hard? Well, maybe for some of us it's apathy. Like I said, a lot of us is kind of complacency. Just kind of been in the same spot and kind of distracted with different things. You could say busyness, all right? I'd say a lot of us, a lot of the, 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 the hardness of our heart could be rooted in fear or worry or anxiety or some combination of those about where I am versus where God wants me to be. As long as that fear is there, the soil gets harder and harder and harder. It's harder for the word of God to break through. It's harder for the sermon to have any, have any impact. So all I think of, well, if God loved me, how come he didn't do this? A lot of us, there's an unrepented sin in our lives, an unrepented sin in your life. Any unrepented sin becomes to your spiritual life what fat and cholesterol is to your heart, to your arteries. It just starts to clog it, okay? And the unrepented sin, we all make sin. I'm not saying sin. I'm talking about unrepented sin. What it does is it starts to close down those spiritual arteries. The longer the sin stays in there and unrepented, undealt with, and over time, it clogs things up. You may not see it, but it's working, it's working. It may come a point in time that that thing locks up. So what we're doing in this series, like I said, bring it back in shape. Each week, we're going to look at a different virtue or practice, a different virtue or practice that is essential to the spiritual life, to the revival of our hearts. And as we go through this, okay, this is important. These are not, the sequence that we're going to discuss these things is important. And specifically today, what we're going to talk about is the most important. This is not, don't think of this in terms of a buffet, where it doesn't matter what you take. No, think of this in terms of preparing the soil, that you have to do things in a certain sequence. You can't just come in with the fertilizer until you've broken this stuff up. If you do things in the wrong sequence, it doesn't work that way. There are certain things that take priority over others. And what we're going to start with today is the mother of all spiritual virtues, the foundation of our spiritual life, which is humility. Isaiah chapter 57 verse 15 tells us why humility is so important. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble heart to revive the spirit of the humble. That's what we want, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. Humility is to your spiritual life what a foundation is to a house. You go into a house, you don't notice, humi- you don't notice the foundation. You say, oh, the windows are nice. Uh, I like the chandelier here. Uh, you know, it's a nice thing on the wall. You notice the stuff on the outside. What you don't see holding it all up is humility. And humility in our spiritual lives is the same. It's the foundation. If it's not there, no matter how you decorate the house, if the foundation is faulty, it's going to crumble. No matter what you do on the top floor, the foundation has to be intact. And the foundation of our spiritual lives is humility. It's not how usually we think. If I say to you, your spiritual life, how's your spiritual life doing? Automatically, we automatically think of outside things. How's your spiritual life? We think of prayer. Do I pray or don't pray? Do I read my Bible? Don't read my Bible. Do I fast? Don't fast. How's your spiritual life? No, I prayed. I read my Bible. I go to church. Okay. But does that, it's just those outside things that make a spiritual life? No, 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 no. I'm good. I serve in the church. I give my money. I fight the injustices of the world on Twitter, okay? I at least post about them, okay? So I, I'm good. And I think my spiritual life is good because I have those outside factors going on. But the truth is, is that humility, without that, those outside things don't mean very much. You know our problem with humility? Our problem with humility is we confuse, there's two kinds of humility. There's inside humility and outside humility, and we confuse the two. Outside humility we're good at that. We are experts at that. And outside humility is the, no, 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 no. And we confuse outside humility like someone may be quiet. Like I tell you a humble person, you're going to draw a similar kind of person. You're going to have the same characteristics. You're going to say that person is probably quiet. Doesn't talk much. Doesn't make a lot of noise. Well, I ask you, is he quiet? What if he's just awkward? Like we know he's humble. He just could be awkward. 
You say someone who is humble is not aggressive. What if I tell you that person just lacks self-confidence? Does that make them humble? Or does that just mean they have low self-esteem? Someone who is humble, we would say, is someone who, you know, doesn't get their way and they kind of let other people. Well, I would say, is it that they don't get their way and they let other people? Or is it that they're weak and they're unable to do anything for themselves? Usually we think of people who are humble. I know this is very, very generic and stereotypical. I'm sorry. Humble people, usually they like hunched over. You never think of like a tall, humble person, okay? Humble people either need to be short in stature or kind of angled, okay? What if I tell you the person isn't humble? What if they just have like a neck issue or like... There's two people. There are two people in the Bible that are called humble. The first is Moses. And Moses was not quiet. Moses was not weak. Moses walked straight, no hunch. Moses was the guy who stood up to Pharaoh and said, you let my people go or you're about to see some problems. And Moses brought the 10 plagues. Moses stood in front of the Red Sea. Moses brought water. Moses was not weak. And the other person who the scriptures call humble is Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Christ says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Was Jesus weak? So humility is not weakness. Was Jesus shy? So humility is not shyness. Was Jesus timid? Was Jesus depressed? Was Jesus awkward? Jesus was none of those things. So get rid of the idea that the outside is what makes a person humble. Humility is the foundation. It's not the decoration. And if all the humility that you have in your life is an exterior humility, then I would say that's not humility at all. Humility is much deeper. Humility is what allowed Jesus, Jesus, to wash the feet of the disciples. Because inside, he knew who he was. And he said, I don't have a problem coming and wash your feet because I know who I am. It's what gave Jesus the ability to hang out with the sinners and the lowly people and the despised and the rejected. He didn't care what people said about him because he was humble in heart. And that's the kind of humility that we need, an inside, not an outside humility. In order to understand, to get a working definition of what humility is, humility comes from a Latin word which is also kind of an English word, which is the word humus. Those who are into gardening, okay, understand what humus is. Humus is a Latin word, but again, we use it as a, something that you can buy in Home Depot. It means soil. It literally means earth or of the earth. It's a dirt. You can go to Home Depot. You can buy a big old bag, a three-foot cubic bag of humus, okay? And that just means it's just dirt. This is what you lay down at the bottom to make gardening. Humus from which we get humility, is also where we get another word which all of us understand very well. Human. So a human is someone who is of humus. And that's what God said in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. This is where our brothers in the Catholic Church, this is where they have their Ash Wednesday thing. This is what Ash Wednesday is to them. Okay? That they remind themselves that dirt you are, and dirt you will return to. And that's why they get the, the ashes thing on their forehead, okay? Of humus you are, and of humus you will return. Of the earth you are, and of the earth you shall return. So humility, here's our working definition, is not saying, no, 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 I'm bad. Humility is not being shy. Humility is not being timid. Humility is knowing my rightful place. Humility is knowing my rightful place. It's knowing where I fit on the spectrum of life. It's knowing where I belong, knowing who I am. Man has always resisted his humusness. And man, from the very start, has said, I may be humus, like it's like a capitalistic thing from the very, very start, but I'm going bigger and better. I can break from this. I want to achieve more. Man always resisted being of dirt of the earth. Very first sin committed on this planet was when Adam and Eve were in the garden. Serpent came to them. Serpent said to them, what? What was, he, what was he tempted them with? He said, eat this and you will be not humus. You'll be like God. Right now you're humus, but I can give you a promotion. I can get you bigger and better. Follow me and I'll take you to the top of the corporate ladder. And that was their sin, that they wanted to be not humus. A few chapters later, in Genesis chapter 11, we read the story of the Tower of Babel. And there you had a group of people, very similar. Look what they said, Genesis 11:4. 4. Come, 
Let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. You see that? Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us be something. We don't want to just be ordinary. We want to make a name for ourselves. The end result, for Adam and Eve, they rejected their humusness, and the end result was they lost God. Because no humus, no God. You don't know who you are, then you can't, you can't know me. Same with the people here in Genesis chapter 11. Let's build a tower so we're the strongest people. End result of that is that God confused their language and they were scattered and they became weaker because they wanted to build a name for themselves. Go back even earlier than Genesis 1, 2, or 3. Go back even earlier than the story of Tower of Babel and you go to the fall of Lucifer. And you go to Lucifer who was created as an angel of light to serve God and to be in the presence of God. See, Lucifer wasn't even humus. Lucifer was angel. For him, that wasn't good enough. He wanted to go up even higher. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. You notice the pronoun I there a lot. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Actually, you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths Humble, humility equals know my rightful place. Know where I fit in the order of where's God and where am I. Know that I am not trying to exalt myself above where I am. I know where I belong. I know I'm here today and gone tomorrow. I know that dust I came from and dust I shall return. And if there's some good that comes in me while I'm on this earth, then that good is from God, it's not from me because I am humus, nothing more. Now, if that's our working definition, I like measurables. How can we measure how we're doing in that? Can we measure it? Is there a way to tell, like, who? Again, we're not sticking with it. We're not going with outside, so I'm not saying it in an outside way. But is there a way to tell, like, he's doing good in humans. She's doing bad in humans. That this guy right here, that I can say he's better than me in humility. Is there a way to tell? Or is it just like, do your best and that's kind of it? I like measurables, and I think there's a way to tell. And I think if there's one thing that you can look at to see, how are you doing when it comes to humility? You know your rightful place or not? The measure of humility is correctability. Correctability. Your willingness to be corrected. Let's be honest. As a society, we stink at being corrected. We hate being criticized. And we take everything personal. We talked about this in the last series about insecurity. We talked about, I thought it was just me. We talked about how sometimes we're that easily offended person. And that comes from insecurity. When I don't feel good about myself, and then you say this, I take it as a personal way. The true humble person is the one who can be corrected and even criticized and takes it properly. How do you respond when your boss criticizes you? How do you respond when a friend comes to you and says, we need to talk. I know some people, even the priest can come and confront them in love, wanting nothing from them. And they can't even find correction from the priest who has no vested interest in the thing. How do you respond when someone corrects you? As you're asking yourself this question, here's how not to respond. Don't tell me that you say the right thing. I know you say the right thing because you're a polite person. I'm not doubting you say the right thing. I'm not doubting you say, oh no, thank you very much. And I appreciate it. But inside you're cursing them. I have, no problem. I have no problem saying the right thing because I'm a priest and I have to look like the right thing. And I say, oh, thank you. I really appreciate constructive criticism. In my mind, Satan worshiper. That's who that person is right there. <laughs> How do you respond on the inside when somebody criticizes you? You listen? You take it with a listening ear, with a humble heart? Or you automatically, you tune them off and you start going passive-aggressive, subtle shots at? Oh, I appreciate that, but you know, maybe you should think of... How do you respond on the inside when you are criticized? I know how a lot of you are thinking. I know how a lot of you are thinking. You think the way I think. I'm 100% open to criticism. I'm 100% correctable. I'm just never wrong. I'm, oh, oh to me? I'm open to criticism. But I just never did anything wrong. There was a song back in the 80s when we were kids. Anyone remember a song called It's, it's Hard to Be Humble? Anyone remember that one? Anyone remember this one? It wasn't like a famous song. 
But there was this kid I remember in fifth grade. He's, he's new to the school. His name was Chris Phones. Okay, Chris Phones came to school and he would sing this song every single day. And it was kind of like his way. I, it, it was insecure. Okay, it was his way. And the song, don't want to hear how it goes? Okay. It was like a country kind of a thing. Okay. It goes, uh, Oh Lord. Let me sing it. Oh, sing it or say it? Sing it. Oh Lord. It, I got to sing it. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. <laughs> Music team, I'm coming for you next week. <laughs> no matter who you are, no matter how great you are, we all make mistakes. Is there any human being who doesn't make a mistake? Like we say in our liturgical prayers that none is pure from blemish, even though his life on earth is a single day. None of us doesn't make a mistake. Well, let me tell you this, that nine out of 10 times, when you make a mistake, everyone else can see it around you except you. You are the last person usually to see your own mistake. So when someone else comes to you and says, you made a mistake, you need to be corrected. You're wrong about this. Let me advise you in this. How do you respond? Do you respond with, he's an idiot? He don't know what he's talking about. Or do you open up your ears, open up your heart and say, you know what? I know I'm humus. I know I make mistakes. And in fact, I appreciate you telling me because before I was making the mistake and not knowing. Now I'm making the mistake and at least I'm knowing so at least I can do something about it. How do you respond when someone comes to criticize you or correct you? We all know someone who cannot take criticism and we hate them. And we hate them because they don't allow themselves to be made better. We all know someone who can't take criticism. And when there's someone who can't take criticism, ultimately, in the end, you cannot be good friends with this person. You cannot. This person who can't take criticism, I'm telling you this for your own sake, you push everyone else around you away from you because you are going to make mistakes. And if you're never willing to listen to it, you push everyone away from you. People respond to mistakes by when, when uncorrectable people by either exploding in your face and saying you're wrong and you're wrong or they do the opposite extreme which is say you're right and then they just pull away from you. They get offended. They become overly sensitive and they think this is a way of humility and just saying this is actually a form of pride. The one who pulls away and just becomes offended is actually not humility. It's actually a form of pride. You know why? Because it's a person who has just been told you're humus and they say you know what? I don't like you telling me that I'm humus. So you know what? I cut you off from my life. I know I'm humus, but I don't want anyone else to know I'm humus. And I don't want to be reminded of my humusness. So they end up cutting you off. It's not humility. It's the opposite of humility. It's pride. Bible. It's Pharaoh from the book of Exodus. Pharaoh from the book of Exodus. Y'all know the story. Pharaoh had the Israelites. They were slaves in Egypt. And he was like the king over all of them. Moses came and said, let my people go. And Moses did all these signs and wonders. Moses made the, the, the river turn to blood. Moses made frogs come out that river and go all over the place. Moses made lice. He made locusts. He made all of your cows die and all of these cows live. He made it dark over the people of Egypt for three days. For three days, the sun didn't shine over here. And over the people of Israel, a bright light shone. Like it was like a, the Peanuts cartoon. Okay, with just like the, the, the cloud covering over the people. And Pharaoh, I'll tell you why. Pharaoh was the luckiest guy in the whole wide world. Pharaoh, God loved Pharaoh more than he loved anybody else in the world. Because God loved Pharaoh so much. That Pharaoh didn't have to decipher God's will. Pharaoh didn't have to fast and pray. And what does God want me to do? I'm going to send Moses straight from me to you. He's going to make the sun black. He's going to make the river blood. He's going to make your pancakes full of frogs and lice and locusts. And he's going to tell you exactly what you need to do. And Pharaoh's like, okay, I got this. I got this. No. And Pharaoh had it made. Pharaoh had it made. But because he didn't have humility in his heart. Because he was not willing to be corrected. He was not willing to say, you know what? Maybe I am wrong. Maybe after like the eighth plague, maybe I'm not going to win this one. The Pharaoh couldn't. Look here, Exodus chapter 9, verse 27. This is after one of the plagues. I can't remember which one. After one of the plagues, Pharaoh kind of had a change of heart. He kind of had a change of heart. Exodus 9, 27. I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. So he sees the truth. I'm wrong. He's right. Entreat the Lord, he's telling this to Moses, entreat the Lord that there be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough. Moses had caused a hailstorm to come upon them. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. Good job, Pharaoh. You saw the truth. You realized you were wrong. You're going to come back to God. Everything's going to be fine. Verse 33. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh 
and spread out his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain was not poured on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants, so the heart of Pharaoh was hard, neither he, neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. What is this? Is this, I didn't know? Is this blindness? Is this deceived? No. This is not humility. This doesn't know my rightful place. You, Moses, tell me what to do? No, I'm Pharaoh. I tell you what to do. Well, how about if God makes it clear that I'm right and you're wrong? Okay, no, not okay. Because he couldn't take being humans. Never think that sin will stop you from getting to God. Never think that sin will stop you from getting to God. What will stop you from getting to God is your inability to be corrected about that sin. My friend, his sin, we all make mistakes. It was his inability to see the mistake and admit the mistake that is causing him to be far. Pharaoh would have been accepted by God like if Pharaoh would have said, I'm sorry, God, forgive me. He would have been accepted by God. It's not your sin that causes you to be in problem with God. It's your inability and your unwillingness to admit your sin, to be corrected. That causes you to be varked. St. Augustine said it this way. He said, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride, unchastity, greed, drunkenness, all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. That's why God chooses to dwell in the meek of heart. He's saying, you got greed? We can get past greed. Unchastity, meaning like lust, we can get past that. You got problem drinking, no problem. You got problem, with, like whatever it is, no problem. But you got pride? Mark Twain once said it famously. He said, it's my temper that gets me into trouble, but my pride that keeps me there. It's my temper that gets me into trouble, but it's my pride that keeps me there. So what are we going to do? How are we going to solve this? Is this solvable? I just painted a pretty bleak picture. Is it solvable? Yes, it's solvable. And there is a solution. Just as we found the measure, now that we understand what the measure is, it's not that outside garbage. It's not, no, no, I'm bad, I'm the worst. It's none of that. That's nonsense. That's garbage. It's inside. It's knowing my rightful place. And how I can measure it is how do I respond when people correct me, people confront me, my boss, my priest, my friends, when they say, hey, we need to talk. How do I respond on the inside? Now, how do I solve the problem? Once I've addressed where I stand, how do I solve it? We're going to go to a verse from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, which tells us what to do about this humility thing. He says, all of you be submissive to one another. Leave that part aside. That's a whole other sermon another day. Be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. I love this expression, be clothed with humility. Be clothed with humility teaches us that humility is not like a, I'm humble now. Humility is not like feeling like I'm the worst person. That's called low self-esteem. Humility is not something inherent. Yes, yeah, she's humble, she's not. It's not like something you're born with. I wish I could be humble like him. You can be humble like anybody because humility is something that you put on. This morning, each of you got out of bed in the morning, you put on a shirt. It's your choice. You could have come out without a shirt or you could have chose to put on shirt A or shirt B or shirt C. You chose to put on a shirt. And every day, you can choose to put on humility. It's not something inherent to you. It's not something where you're, it's not. It's a shirt that you put on. That you get up in the morning, you say, I'm going to go talk to my wife and my kids. I'm going to put on a shirt of humility. I'm going to go into church, and I'm going to pray before God. I'm going to put on my shirt of humility. I'm going to go to my boss, my boss's office, for that awful project review status update nonsensical meeting. And I'm going to go in there, before I go in, Put on a shirt of humility. It's something that we can be clothed in. And I came up with three specifics. Three specifics. There's a myriad of them. This is not the only three ways to put on humility. Okay, but these are three ways that I think we can really benefit. But all of these things, these are not something to pray about, something to fast about. These are things to do something about. Number one, we're going to start with one that you like the least. Confess. Confess to myself to God, and to others. Confess to myself, 
to God and to others. Why confess to three different people? Like, isn't there just one kind of confession? Some people are very good at confessing to themselves, okay, and they understand what they did wrong, but that's it. They never get past there. They never go to another person. They never go to God. Some people are very good about confessing to God in prayer, but they don't want to confess to anybody else. Some people, you'd be surprised by this, are very good at confessing to others, but not to themselves. How can that be? It would seem like confessing yourself is easy. No. You know who this is? This is the person who comes to confession, the sacrament of confession, and gives me long stories, okay? And long stories about all these horrible things that happened to them, and then because of that, I did one, two, three. But really, this person, it was bad, and my wife did this, and this lady in the office, she seduced me, and this man did this and got me, and that's why I fell, but this person. And what is that? What that is, that's not real repentance. That's not confession. You know what that is? That's cover your bases. Okay, that's, you know what, confession doesn't cost me anything, so I'm just going to go in there and confess everything I could possibly think of, but I didn't really repent of any one of them. So I'm just going to say whatever, I got pride, I got lust, I got whatever in my mind, I don't got no problem right here. And it's just, you know what, cover my bases, he's not charging for this thing, so let's just... We need to learn how to confess to myself, to God, and to others. And any one of the three, with any one of the two without the third is incomplete. Best example for us is the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15. Prodigal son had gone and done all kinds of horrible things. But when he came to himself, he came to himself. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. See the three steps? He sat with himself. He came to himself. He first came to the conclusion, what I did is wrong. I don't just need a sandwich for my father. I don't need just forgiveness. What I did is wrong. I did wrong. I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned in front of you. The three are complete in the prodigal son. While we're here on this topic of confession, let me do a little plug for the sacrament of confession. For those of you who are just visiting, we're here in the Orthodox Church. We believe in a sacramental life. We believe that the beauty of being in the Orthodox Church is we live a sacramental life. It means we don't just live an earthly life. We live a heavenly life. And we have the heavenly life given to us through the sacraments, because our God is an incarnational God, and he doesn't just like to work in spiritual ways, he likes to work in tangible ways. That's why Christ came and took flesh. He could have just preached to us from up in heaven, but he took flesh, he became like us. And he likes to do things to speak in our language. So we believe for us, the sacramental life of repentance and Eucharist communion are the essentials. That without these two, we are severely lacking that something great, something heavenly is right there and the doorway to it is through these sacraments. Let me ask you a question. This is not a theological discussion on sacrament of confession. This is more of a practical discussion. For those of you who don't confess regularly, which is a lot of us, I'm not, not pointing fingers, what's the reason? What's the real reason? Don't give me the theological stuff. Don't tell me you don't believe in it. Don't tell me that nonsense. Is the truth that you're really seeking the truth? Or is the truth that you struggle with this humus thing? Is the truth that you don't like to admit your humusness? Or even worse, you don't think that you have humusness. You don't think that you need it. See, the problem with confession is not that it's not effective. Because I don't know one person, I don't know one person, I know a lot of people, I don't know one person who has ever told me that they have confessed regularly, regularly, not once in the process of confessing regularly, and they told me that it didn't change their life. I don't know what. In fact, as I was preparing this message, I got a text message just yesterday from a girl who came to confession, hadn't come to confession for a while, and I wrote it down right here because it's so nice. She said, unsolicited, she know I'm talking about nothing. She said, the difference confession makes is day and night. Thank God for this sacrament. That's what she wrote. I don't know one person who has ever come into confession and walked out saying, like at worst, they say, you know what, made no difference. But at best, they say, it has freed me. It has given me hope once again. Because you know what we struggle with? The things we struggle with, confession addresses. We struggle with guilt. We struggle with shame. We struggle to know, how do I know God forgives me? Confession solves all of those. Because when you go to confession, you have someone else. Who puts his hand on your head and he says, your sins are absolved. So you know when he says that to me? You know what I say when, I'm, like, when I go to my father of confession? He says that. I'm thinking to my end, I don't know if God has forgiven me. But if he hasn't, it's on you, not on me. 
It's on you. It's not on me. Like I did my best. I confessed and I struggle to believe God can forgive me. But you know what? You said it. So he's going to hold you. Like if a policeman writes, okay, you know what? You're off this ticket. And he did it wrongly. That's on him. That's not on me. I'm free. A lot of people in the church struggle with confession. You know who doesn't struggle with confession? People outside the church. People outside the church come. And at the beginning, I say, you know what? Be a member of the Orthodox Church, this thing called confession. No, 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 it's weird. That's weird. That's weird. And I say, okay, you know what? Just come. Just come. Let's just sit together. And I was, just come. Just come and see. And if you hate it, don't come back ever again. Just come and see. So they come. And we sit together. And then they finish. And I've had people ask me, say, wait a minute. You, like, I'm supposed to do that? I say, you're supposed to do that. And they say, you don't charge for that? We don't charge for that. I said, in my church, to do that costs $100 an hour. I said, you know what? That's fundraising potential opportunity. <laughs> you know who didn't like to confess to himself, to God, and to others? Back to the story of the prodigal son. There's two children in the story. There's the younger son who sinned and confessed. And the older son, the story was a little bit different. Luke 15, 28. The older brother was angry that his son got forgiven so quickly. He was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, listen to this. Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. I never transgressed your commandment at any time? Really? Do you believe that? Do you believe that this boy never once transgressed his father's commandment? Boy, do you really believe that? Like, you're the older brother. So you're even older than this guy. Let's say you're 15, 20 years old. You really believe that you never once sinned? That you never once needed to be corrected? What is that? That's not humility. You see the danger? Look, there's two sons in the story. One did very bad and confessed. One did no bad, but didn't confess. At the end of the story, there's a party with the father and a feast. One of the boys is inside the party, and one of the boys is outside. And that feast is symbolic of the heavenly feast. It's not your sin that's going to keep you out of the party. I promise you, sin is very easily to solve. It is very easy to solve sin. Very easy. You know what's going to keep you out? It's your unwillingness to be corrected. Your unwillingness to say, I'm humus, I'm dust, and I know I made mistakes. And I got no problem to confess. This week in Life Group, you're going to read a great story. And you're going to read two stories in the Bible from like the Kings and Chronicles era. You're going to read about two different kings. One king who, start, who started very, very, very good. One king who started very, very, very bad. Both of them made mistakes because that's inevitable. And both of them are confronted with their sin. And you're going to see that when it's you're confronted with your sin, being good or being bad makes no difference. All that matters is, how do you respond when you are corrected and faced by the prophet of God who says, you're doing something wrong. You're going to see that in life group this week. Number one way to put on humility is confess to myself, to God, and to others. Number two, I will learn from others. I will learn from others. I will be teachable. Question for you right now. You are humus. You are dust, to dust you shall return. Who are you learning from? Who is making you a better person? Because if you admit that you're humus and you know your rightful place, you admit that you're not there and that you have some work to go. Well, who is it that is helping you become better? Let me tell you what the answer is not. Don't everyone say my name. Don't anybody say my name. I'm not investing in anybody. This is not me investing in you. This is one-way communication. This is me kind of shouting from the mountaintop and saying, ah! but then you got to take this and you got to make it practical and you need somebody to help you in that process. And if you don't have anybody that you're learning from, no one who can sit with you on a regular basis, weekly, bi-weekly, whatever it is, no one who is like speaking truth into your life, then I'm telling you, you are living as if you are not humorous. You are living as if you got it all figured out and you got it all together. One definition I found online for humility, not an official definition, but just one guy who wrote it on a, on a post or something. He said, humility is being open to the possibility that I may not know it all. 
being open to the possibility that I may not know it all. And in fact, that someone else might know a little bit more than me. Well, if you say that you don't know it all, put your money where your mouth is and go ask somebody for help. Go to somebody and say, hey, tell me, am I doing something stupid? Am I doing something wrong? Like, correct me. Give me advice. Open yourself up to that. When you do that, especially if you're not good at this, okay, you haven't done this in a while, like, get ready, brace yourself, okay, because they may come back and start firing stuff at you, but this is a good thing that we need to be corrected. Again, you may say to yourself, I'm willing to be, I'm willing to learn, I'm willing to have others teach me, but I'm just surrounded by not smart people. The people I'm surrounded with are not as smart as me. I'll tell you this, that humility is not, this, this particular step, learn from others, is not about what you learn from others. It's about the process of putting yourself beneath others. It's not about what you actually learn from others. The value in it is going and humbling myself and saying, I don't have it all figured out and I could use to learn from somebody else. A proud person puts people in categories. These people below me. These people know better. Only these select people, they're the only ones that I can learn from. A humble person can learn from just about anybody. You know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18? He teaches us this. Matthew 18, 4. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What do you think the disciples thought? The disciples, Peter, Matthew, James, John, like those guys did miracles. What do you think they thought? When Jesus brought a good-for-nothing kid and said, I need you to be like this little kid, what do you think they thought? That little thing? Kids back then? What, the kid? Dumb kid doesn't have a name? Like, I'm Peter. I'm John. Like, I'm James. Like, we, 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 we do stuff. And Jesus said, you know what? It's not the stuff that I care about. If inside you, you don't think you can learn from that child, then you've got no place in my kingdom. Because I dwell with those who are contrite heart, lowly in heart. That's where I dwell. Pride is the opposite of me. So you got pride, you don't think you learn from a kid? You got no place with me. Let me ask you. Parents, do you learn from your children? Or you just teach your children? One time I thought about this and I realized, you know what? Whatever I taught my children, I learned a lot more from them. Can you learn from your brother or your sister? Your annoying brother or your annoying sister? Can you learn from your coworker? Can you learn even, let's say, what well, they're heathen? Okay, but can you learn maybe how they manage their finances? Maybe you can learn something from someone else. Yeah, maybe he's a heathen, maybe he's a whatever, but maybe he's better than you. You spend all your money, maybe he's better than you at finances. Can you learn about hard work from somebody in your office? Can you learn about punctuality from somebody? You got it all figured out. I tell you, we should learn from one another. We should learn from people on the street. And I'll tell you, even a lower level of people we should learn from. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. Watch this. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. You see the wise person? Who's higher, me or an ant? I am. But I can learn from the ant. I can learn from the ant. You sluggard. Ask yourself, if truly I am humus, who am I learning from? Who's investing in me, pouring into me to make me a better person? Okay. And by the way, this is one of the reasons why we do life groups around here. Because you can learn a lot from me, but I don't think you can learn everything from me. I believe there's a lot to be learned from one another. This is why I join a life group and I sit there and I'm not the leader of the life group. Okay, I'm like the annoying guy who keeps answering all the questions sometimes, yes. Okay, but I'm not the leader of them. Because I'm not there, like you learn from me, but I want to learn from you. And I want to learn from one another. And I don't think that I have all the answers. I believe I got a lot of the answers, but I don't believe I got all the answers. All right, we learn from one another. Number one, we will confess. Number two, we will be teachable. Number three, we will serve one another. We'll serve one another. Because let me tell you what humility is not. Some people solve this humility issue by saying, you know what, okay, I'm going to be humble with everyone. I'm going to avoid all people. I've solved the problem of dealing with idiots. I'm going to not be proud. I'm going to not be arrogant. I'm just going to avoid them all. And it sounds very spiritual. That ain't spiritual. What that is saying is, I'm in a class by myself. And I don't have time to waste with you peons down there. 
You know why Christ was the most humble? Why we learn humility from Christ? Because Christ, even though he is God, God of gods, light of light, he is the Son of God incarnate. He is God. He dwelt in this earth, and never did he for one second make any one of us feel inferior. He never made any of us, never made one person he met, feel as if we were lower class compared to him. St. Paul writes about it this way. He says in Philippians 2.5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who made himself, he goes on and says how he was God of gods, okay? But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He didn't come and say, you peons, you're not worthy of me. And actually, if he'd have said that, he'd have been right. Like, he'd have been right. But he didn't say that. And he didn't say, I'm not going to deal with you. I'm not going to go near you. I'm not going to eat your food. I'm going to live on the penthouse floor. Like, he didn't say none of that stuff. He came down and became just like us. He never made one person feel as if they're inferior. And then, and then, the preface to this, okay, the verse right before. We're going to read Philippians chapter 2, but like it's based... This is what he's saying right here. Who he is and what he did. Now read this verse. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, that's humility, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. There you have it, my brothers and sisters. That's humility. That's humility. Humility is not to put yourself down. Humility is to pick up everybody else. Humility is not to say, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad. Humility is to say, you are great, and you are great, and you are great, and you are valuable, and you are valuable. And in relation, I see myself as no greater than anybody else. Humility is not self-deprecating. Humility is not, I'm the worst. You know, that's the outside humility. You know when you come to me, and you say, Father Anthony, that's a great sermon. And I say, no, 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 no. You know what I'm really saying? Convince me. Tell me more. No, 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 no. That wasn't that great. But if you think so, why do you? That's not humility. Humility is not to deny the gift that God put in me. It's not to say I'm bad, not to say I'm rubbish. That's not humility. In fact, I could argue that's sin. Because that's, it's, it's, it's saying bad stuff about God's creation. Humility is not to say I'm bad. Humility says say that you're great. And you're great. And I will esteem you better than myself. And I don't think that I am here. Here's where I am. But you know what? I'm going to treat you. And at the time I'm done treating you, you're going to say to yourself, your father Anthony thinks really highly of me. Isn't that what Jesus did? Samaritan woman. Man, Jesus thinks really highly of me. Levi. Man, Jesus thinks really highly of me. Anyone who ever touched Jesus said, man, he really thinks really highly of me. And that's what humility is. Humility, as was famously said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, lower of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. It's thinking about others more and yourself less. So because of that, you know what? I'm not going to pull away from people. I'm not going to just say, you know what? You guys over there, me over here. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to get dirty. And you know what? I'm going to be in people's mess. And I'm going to be in your mess and your mess and your mess and your mess. And when I get annoyed by your mess and I just want to run away, you say, I'm going to say, you know what? No, I'm going to see them higher than myself. I'm going to roll up my sleeves more. And when you mess up, I'm going to forgive you. And when I mess up, I'm going to say, I'm sorry to you. And I'm going to be involved in people's lives and I'm going to get my hands dirty. Because that's what humility means. It doesn't mean to isolate yourself. It means to put not yourself down, not yourself bad, but put everybody else up. Why we will do these things because as we said in the beginning, God says that humility is the prerequisite for life. He said, we said in the beginning, we want a revival. We want you, God. He says, you want me? I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. He says, you go down, I lift you up. You go up, I put you down. You know, the church teaches us this lesson every time we come to church. Again, those who are kind of new to orthodoxy, when you first enter the church, you first attend a liturgical service, there's a certain phrase that's repeated a lot. And sometimes it's a little overwhelming. And that phrase is, Lord have mercy. 
we say to just about good morning, Lord have mercy. Let us pray, Lord. Everything is Lord have mercy. We pray for anything. Everything includes with Lord have Like it's as if we're very either A, uncreative, or B, we have very bad self-esteem. Or C, it's very wise. You know why we say Lord have mercy 10,000 times every day? You know why we say Lord have mercy 10,000 times every day? To remind us that we're humans. We come into church, and traditionally we are taught that when we enter church, we don't enter church like this. We come into church, and first thing we do is we bow. We make prostration. And we say, have mercy on us, O God, the Father Almighty. And we remind ourselves, I'm humus. Hey, you know what? But I prayed good yesterday. So I'm going to walk into church like this today. Bow down, son, Lord, have mercy. No, but I gave a lot of money in the box on my way in. Lord, have mercy. It doesn't matter what you did out there. It doesn't matter what you did. It's Lord, have mercy. Because all of us need a reminder of who we are. And maybe the church, in her infinite wisdom, is trying to protect us from what I said about my friend earlier, what I said about Pharaoh, what we all see, the people around us who refuse to be corrected. Maybe the church is trying to protect us because the church realizes that God dwells with the holy and humble of heart. It's not arrogance. It's not like, is God arrogant say I only dwell with the holy and hum uh, the humble? I only dwell with the humble? It's not arrogance. You are welcome in my house any day. But the day that you think that my house is your house, you have to leave. The day that you think my wife is your wife, you especially have to leave. Okay? You are welcome in my house as long as you know that it's my house, you are a guest, and we have to know your rightful place. If you know your rightful place, you can stay. If you think it's yours, and you think you put yourself up, you can't stay. So the church teaching us this. with the Lord have mercies. And hopefully for us, may God never allow us to walk in blindness. May God never allow us to walk in pride unwilling to see the error, the inevitable, inevitable error of our ways and the mistakes that we will make. May God help us to have this humble heart because that's where he will dwell and that's the solution that we're looking for here in this series. Okay? Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, when God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you from the depths of our heart. Thank you, Lord that you and your humility came to us, didn't wait for us to come to you, but you came to us, you dwelt amongst us, and you lowered yourself to our level so that you could lift us up to yours. Forgive us, Lord, for our arrogance and thinking something of ourselves, and help this, this spirit of humility, this mind of humility to really be inside all of us. Not an outside humility, Lord, we hate the outside humility. We want inside humility. We want to be reminded of who we are. We want to be clothed with humility at work, at home, in our social circles, like everywhere we go, even like on the metro, we want to be the number one most humble person right there, Lord, being clothed with humility. We pray that you would help us to achieve that so that we can dwell with you. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the prayers of all your saints. Here says, we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.